What a year. <laughs> what a year. You know, uh, it's fourth quarter. I know what you know about football, but oftentimes, fourth quarter, everybody kind of gets fired up because, you know, this is it. So a lot of times, and I saw this in a couple of games yesterday, it's kind of the tradition of some teams when you come to the fourth quarter, you start, you par- you start putting up the fingers, right? And, and everybody's looking at each other and they're like, we got this, we got this. And I got good news, bad news. Bad news is we don't got this, all right? We don't got 2020, we don't do it. But, but guess what? God's got this. So I want everybody to put up four fingers and look to the person next to you and say, God's got this. He's got this. God is at work and we are talking about seeing what God can do. God can transform lives. God works all things for good. He's got a plan and a purpose. He's moving. He's on the move and he's, a, he's calling us. He's allowing us to be a part of that. We get to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. We get to see what only God can do in our lives, through our lives, for his glory, for his purpose. And right now we're, we're looking and we're finishing up the series where we're, we're looking to understand uh, the, the desires that God has for us. We need to see the desire that God has for us. There's five of them, actually. They're desires. And the great thing about God is he doesn't change. Everything else is changing. Everything else is going to change. The world's going to change. We're going to change. God doesn't change. And his desires for us do not change. And so we've been looking at the disciples' cross and we've been focusing on gathering for worship, equipping for growth, serving the church and the world. Last Sunday, Pastor David did a phenomenal job of explaining how important it is that we connect in a group. And he talked about the DNA that we are to dig deeply in the word of hope. We are to nurture the life of hope and we are to advance the mission of hope. And today we're going to talk about that, that last part, advancing the mission of hope as we look at the last part of the disciples' life, which is to make more disciples. And by the way, just a reminder, we are not just to do one of these. All five of these are fundamental aspects of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so if you see one of these lacking in your own life, know that you need to make a change. Know that you're going to have to sacrifice time and energy that you're giving to something else and put it into what God has called us to do because this is what's best for us. God knows what's best for us. What he's desiring for us is the best for us. And so God is desiring us to live out these aspects of what it means to be a disciple of of Jesus at a minimum, at a basic. So today we're we're gonna talk about this, this fifth aspect of making more disciples in the world, advancing the mission of hope. And this has been God's plan from the beginning. Don't think that this is a new thing. This is what God has always intended for his people to do on this planet. The Bible explains this very clearly. Again, the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings as some like to say, no, no, no. The Bible is a single story written by God, given to us, that we can understand God and understand reality. And the reality is there was a creation, there was a fall, there was a rescue, it's happening, it's happened, it's taking place, we get to be a part of it, and there's one day a restoration. In the creation, I wanna remind you that God placed his image bearers, those of us human beings, made in the image of God in a particular geographical location on the planet. We were given a responsibility, and that was to work the garden and to multiply. 
God's plan was that that geographical location would soon consume and cover the whole planet. That the garden would grow. And as the garden grew and as the human population grew, that God's glory would fill the whole world. That didn't happen. The garden didn't grow. As a matter of fact, we were kicked out of the garden because of our sin, because of the fall. So now the world is stuck in sin. The world is stuck in brokenness. But God, in his grace, he came to rescue us. God himself entered into the human race, became one of us. He, he lived the life we couldn't live. It was a holy life. He died a sacrificial death to pay for our sin. He defeated death through his resurrection. And one day he's going to return again. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of this story, of this reality, and live accordingly. Right now, the rescue is taking place. God is calling people to himself, and we are called by God to be a part of what he is doing in the world. And our text understands and, and explains how it is we are to be a part of what God is doing in the world. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the Acts of the Apostle. That's the full name. We're going to talk about that name here in just a moment. Acts chapter 1. And let's all stand together. I'm going to read from verses 8 through 11 and, and then give some explanation on two things I want you to see. And then we're going to finish up uh, going to 2 Timothy 2.2 for just a little bit more application before we leave. This is Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. I'm going to read through verse 11. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's what Jesus said. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. Every four years, we in the United States, who are adults, have the responsibility and privilege to vote for who will be the leader of our nation. And that vote is crucial. That vote is something we Christians are to participate in. We are commanded in God's word, Jeremiah 29, 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf or in its welfare, you will find your welfare. There are two fundamental choices, donkeys and elephants. And those choices come down to who it is we believe will best care for the welfare of our land. Now, interestingly, they are all making their pitch right now. Right now, they're, they're, they're trying to sell us on their ideas. And they are spending an unbelievably large sum of money to do that. Hundreds of millions of dollars to get their message out about what they think is best for the welfare of our city to get our vote so that they can lead. I saw where one candidate is trying to raise this weekend alone, $10 million. That's a lot of cash. Because here's what they're convinced of, that there are still undecided voters. 
that there are still people who, who don't really know which way they want to go. Donkeys are elephants. And so what they're seeking to do is to spend a, a, an inordinate amount of money in ads to get a message out so they can get those who have not yet decided to, to know why they should vote for them. You know, we live in a world where, in a city and a nation, where a, a, a lot of people have not yet decided about Jesus. We, we have some undecided voters in our midst. Some are in this room right now. And it, it's interesting to me that we live in this nation. I mean, our city alone, we have two radio stations. There's more podcasts than we have time to listen to. We have access to more Bibles than you can believe. And, and, and yet, there are still so many who've yet to hear the actual gospel message. There are many who don't understand the gospel. Now, everybody understands religion. Every human being understands religion. Uh, there's a difference between religion and the gospel. Let me explain. Religion says, do what you're supposed to do and good things should happen for you. That's religion. And, and most people tout that. That's what most people talk about. When they're talking about spirituality, they're, they're talking about religion. And even people who don't believe in God like the idea of religion because it manipulates people to try to be good and, and nice. Religion is not the same thing as the gospel. The gospel is different. What is the gospel? The gospel says you can't do good. You can't do the good you're supposed to do, but God loves you and came to do what we could not do so that we can know Jesus and love him forever. The gospel, the gospel is an announcement. The gospel is good news. It's an announcement that God himself has come, did what we could not do, lived a holy life, died to pay for our sin, has been raised and now we can know him and love him and live with him forever. Now, most people do not know or understand the gospel. Many here don't. My concern is even some of our membership don't. See, most people, lots of people, they have religion, but they don't have Jesus. Jesus is the narrow way. It's a very different way. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it, look at that, are few. See, the only way we can enter the narrow way, the only way we can enter into a relationship with God is by grace through faith in Christ alone, which requires that we repent of sin. Which requires, first of all, that we understand sin, that we believe sin. And our culture is doing everything it can to tell us there are no sins. No, 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 There's just mistakes and, and really a lot of things that that, that that old text, that ancient text the Bible says are sin. Those aren't sin. You don't, need to, you don't need to take that seriously. And so it's becoming more and more difficult to convince ourselves and others that there really is sin. And, and the, the problem with our world is brokenness because of sin. But friends, sin is real. The pain of our world, the brokenness of our relationships with God, with one another within, it's all because of sin. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for sin. Now to receive the benefit of, of the work that Christ has done, we have to repent. We have to turn away from sin. We have to turn away from self-sufficiency. We have to turn away from a life on our own. We have to believe the gospel. We have to believe what God has done. We must receive the benefit by faith. 
We must choose to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ to pursue and recover God's design. And once we repent and believe the gospel, we will love and obey Jesus. Remember, to know Jesus is to love Jesus. And to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. Friends, people need to know Jesus. And God has not called us to raise a bunch of money to put on TV ads and commercials to try to convince people to put their vote in Jesus. That's not God's plan. God's plan is us. God's plan is my life and yours, my voice and yours. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 3, verse 8, we read, To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, through the saints, through the gathered people of God in, in a local family, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Like Paul... God has called all who have repented to believe the gospel to share this good news, to make known the mystery of God, which is the gospel. We are to make disciples. What is a disciple? It's very simple. A disciple is someone who knows and loves and obeys Jesus. And we are called to be disciples who makes disciples. And everyone's got a vote. Not only does everyone have a vote, everyone's got to vote. Everyone is voting. Who it is we will choose to follow with our one and only life. And that decision determines everything, not only about our life, but our eternity. Our text tells us that we are to help people choose Jesus to vote for Jesus, to follow Jesus, to know, love, and obey Jesus. And and this is God's desire for us, that we would make more disciples. And our text shows us two things, two things that are crucial to this, two distinct ways that, that we are to make disciples. And the first is this, God desires we make more disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. God never wants us to serve him in our own strength. From the very beginning, it was God's design and desire that his disciples would depend on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hopefully you're still in Acts chapter one. Go back and look in verses four and five. Jesus basically said, boy, sit tight. Don't get busy. Don't go anywhere. The power's coming. Go back and read later today, John 14 through 16, and look at everything Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, about the helper who was to come. The Holy Spirit was about to come and he was about to bring power for the victory of God's purpose. You know, when I was a kid, my my grandmother used to make me watch uh, John Wayne movies and Westerns. How many of you guys love Westerns, John Wayne movies? Show of hands. You know, a lot of people, they don't don't watch these anymore. I, I, I can always remember watching these Westerns and they had a very similar plot. Uh, and they had a very similar theme. There were good guys and bad guys. And I always liked it right when the, the hero was stuck and uh, they were going to lose. There, there was this, this coming power. And it was often announced with... Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-
Remember that? Some of you children are like, I heard that at a ball game once. They, they don't know what that means. They say, what that means is the Calvary's coming. Here comes the power. Here comes the rescue. Here comes the one that, 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 that's going to bring about the victory. And that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. See, the Holy Spirit empowered these apostles to know and love Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit empowered them to make disciples. Jesus came to die to pay for our sin. The Holy Spirit empowers us to believe. The Holy Spirit has empowered every believer in this room. He has empowered us with new life. And he now empowers us to serve God with that life to make more disciples. You know, the book of Acts, again, we see in most of our books, uh, Bibles, you'll, you're, you're in chapter one, you can probably see the heading of it. It's highlighted Acts, A-C-T-S. Most of, most of our, our Bibles are called, the, the book is called the Acts of the Apostles. But there, there, is a good, there is a good argument to be made that the book of Acts should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what we're reading in the book of Acts is the work of the power of the Holy Spirit through human beings who believe. And it's not just the apostles. See, the same Holy Spirit who worked through them is the same Holy Spirit who lives in me and you who believe. And that same power is at work if we are willing to join him in what he is doing in the world. And again, what did Jesus say? He, we're, to, we're to be on mission wherever we are. And where were they? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And what was God going to do? He was going to lead them where he wanted them. And this is what God does with all of us. He leads us to where he wants us. Uh, uh, young leaders ask me pretty regularly, you know, how did you know that God wanted you to be here for almost 20 years. How did you know? I didn't know he wanted me here for almost 20 years. And I don't know how long he's going to want me to be here beyond that. I don't know. Here's what I know. I know my next step. You know what my next step is? To get to point two of this sermon. And some of you are praying that we will get there soon. But we'll get there when we get there. And so it is in life. God, he leads us one step at a time. He leads us to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. One relationship, one step at a time. And what's amazing is as we're faithful in each step, we see more of God's plan. We see more of God's power. We're so blessed at living hope because not only are we called to impact our city, we get to impact our world. We are right now talking about the gift for Christ. And this is a financial gift that we give above our tithe that enables us to partner with those who've come from our congregations to live overseas to share the gospel. Uh, the Burnhams are one of our, our partners. Uh, listen to uh, this brother share a little bit of the vision of what God's doing in his part of the world. Gift for Christ helps fund Living Hope individuals coming over to serve alongside us. And a pastor and an elder were able to come uh, last year and spend a week just with our main national partners uh, going through scripture and theological studies and, and just going deep in the word and really encouraging these brothers that we're working with and at that particular retreat that we were doing we had two other men that were uh, 
the next generation of disciples of leaders. And one is a Syrian Kurd and one is an Iraqi Kurd. No reason for them to be friends whatsoever, much less desire to do ministry together. So these two families were able at that retreat, able to commission them and, and send them out to plant new churches among Arabic speakers in Germany. We're sending trained disciple makers back into the Middle East, back into Central Asia, back into Africa, back into South Asia, very hard places for us to go as Westerners. But because God ordained this whole process, and now you have the nations going back to the nations to reach them for the gospel. It's pretty cool. Which is so stinking exciting. <laughs> There was a new Living Hope Baptist Church planted last week. Praise God. All former Muslims. Just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I, I heard that one of the men I trained, he was a Syrian rebel. I'll never forget that. I asked him, I said, where were you 10 years ago? I asked him as a group, kind of as a rhetorical question, and his face went down. And I, I later asked him, said, what's, would that question hurt you? He said, I said, you know, where were you 10 years ago? He couldn't talk. He just did this. He said, I was killing people. God saved him. He just planted a church in Germany, by the way, Living Hope Baptist Church in Germany. Praise God. <laughs> Friends, this is what we get to be a part of. Some of you are supposed to go next year. All of us are supposed to give. Some of you are supposed to go and stay. Some of you are supposed to go and spend your lives spreading the gospel with our church family supporting you and standing with you and coming alongside and, and being what, a part of what God's doing in the world. All of it is to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. All of it. And, and all of it is to be done, take note of this, in the fear of the Lord. God desires we make more disciples in the fear of the Lord. You know, it's, it's wonderful to have powerful mountaintop experiences. And I had one when I was in, in Europe last, last year uh, training those, those leaders. We were literally on a huge mountain. But then you got to come down off the mountain and you got to get into the real world. You, you got you to get in there and you got to go and you got to be a part of what God is doing. We got to remember what these angels told the apostles. Look in verse 11 of Acts 1 and let this bother you. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Friends, Jesus is coming back. You know, one of my favorite ways that Jesus described his return is in John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And he said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to you to take you to where I am, that where I am, you may be with me always. This is the promise of Jesus. He's coming again. But when he returns, it will be to judge. Friends, let this bother you and encourage you. Matthew 25, let this encourage you believers. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him with, will be gathered all the nations 
And he will separate people one from another as as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on, on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, glory. But, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we look forward to the return of Jesus because we'll be vindicated. All the money, all the words, all the sacrifices we made to share and celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ will be rewarded. At the same time, we will see the judgment come upon every person who did not vote for Jesus, who did not repent and believe the gospel. They will suffer. And friends, it's so crucial that we share the gospel because Jesus is coming back and we are to fear for their eternal suffering. We're also to fear because of what's happening to them in their lives. Many are giving up on their, mess, on their marriages because they, they don't trust Jesus. Children are giving up on their parents. Children at, at, at unbelievable, alarming rates are giving up on the whole idea of family. They're not gonna get married. They're not gonna have children. They don't, not on purpose. They, that's not the life they want. They're giving up on the whole deal and society's encouraging them. They're giving up on themselves. In the last two years... I've had so many friends that I grew up with that have taken their own lives and overdosed on drugs. It's it's so strange to remember being kids with people and to think about what path they went down that led them to that point. And here's what I know. When you don't have hope in Jesus, you don't have hope because everything else will be taken from you. Everything. And if you're not walking with Jesus, you're on your own. And you will stand in judgment on your own. And you will be cursed. And you will be in darkness. And you will not be completely alone. You will hear the cries and the suffering of all the demons of hell and the devil himself and all who died guilty of sin without a redemption. No, friends, let's trust Jesus. Let's vote for Jesus. Let's repent and believe in Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. And let's make more disciples. How do we do that? Real quick, 2 Timothy 2.2. I can do this with my eyes closed backwards. Knocked on conscience, I can tell you this. And what you've heard me from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will also be qualified to teach others. To make more disciples, number one, we must share our hope. Paul was able to say to Timothy, you know what you heard me say? A lot of people heard me say it. You got to share it. Mom and dad, have, have you explained your salvation story to your children? And can they repeat it? Spouses, can you repeat one another's salvation experience? what their life was like before Jesus, how they came to know Jesus, when it was they came to know Jesus, how Jesus is at work in their life now. Friends, can your friends, those of you who are disciples of Jesus, can your friends 
recount your story because they've heard it so often? Have you been so faithful to share your hope in Jesus that when you start sharing it, people start going, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I was interrupted by my child this week informing me that he knew this story. And I said, good. Because you're going to hear it again. Friends, we need, to, we need to know each other's stories. We need to share it so much that we can recount it easily. Let me ask you a question. Do your children know your salvation story? Do your friends know your salvation story? Can they tell it back to you? Ask them. Hey, do you know my salvation story? Tell it back to me. What was the circumstances in which I was saved? Explain it back to me. Friends, we got to share the hope. Secondly, we got to build our friendships and trust the faithful men. See, in, in friendships, it's difficult to lie. You can lie, but you often get caught when you have real friends who know you. And, and real friends know if you're a genuine disciple of Jesus or not. We need to have faithful friends that we are sharing the gospel with who don't know Jesus. And we need to have faithful friends who are walking with us in the hope of Jesus. We always need to have two pairs. What happens when we become Christians often is we become insulated from lost people. I'm gonna ask you in just a moment to think about the lost people in your life that you're sharing Jesus with. If you've been a Christian for more than five years, this is gonna be difficult for you. If you're a new believer, <laughs> I remember well, I led a guy to the Lord just a few months ago and, and I, I pulled out the impact map and we always start with three circles. You know, that's what we do here. And uh, he had 20 like that, people that needed to know Jesus. Friends, we need to share our hope. We need to build our friendships and we must disciple our friends. We got to make disciples. And one of the best ways to do that is with an impact map an impact map. You might want to draw that. You might want to get a feel for that, an impact map. What it basically is, is how it is you're going to live on mission. You put your name in the middle one, and then there's three circles around you who are three people that you, that you believe are not walking faithfully with Jesus. Now, they may be religious. They may go to church, but they're not faithfully walking with Jesus. They don't know, love, and obey Jesus as far as you can tell by the way they talk by the way they live, by, by the way they spend their time and their money. And then think about if they became white hot for the glory of God, what are, who are three people that they could make disciples of? See, what Paul was telling Timothy was, was not just to make sure he was telling. He said, I want you to entrust this to friends who can then turn around and entrust it to others. Four generations. Friends, we're always, we need to always be thinking four generations. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful, and then to others who, who are now hearing. We need to always be thinking, who told me, who am I telling, who can they tell? We gotta share it. We gotta have relationships to share it within. And we gotta hold each other accountable. So when we talk about being in a small group, it's not just digging deeply in the word of hope. It's not just nurturing the life of hope. It's advancing the mission of hope. And our small group times need to be full of prayer. When we pull out our impact maps and discuss it, friends, our dinner tables need to have impact maps on them where at each meal we're praying for those that we want to see come to know and love and obey Jesus. 
If you don't mind, would you close your eyes there and just kind of bow your head? Some of you don't know Jesus, and I want to invite you to do that right now. You have to repent. You have to tell God you were wrong and he's right. You have to ask him to forgive you of your sin. You have to tell Jesus that you believe that he paid the penalty for your sin and that he's alive and that you want to live for him forever. If you want to be saved, say that to God right now. And your next step is to be baptized. So you need to let someone know that today you were saved. Friends, every single one of us need to commit to make disciples. If you are a believer, would you right now just in your own words say to God that you're committed to this, that you see the need, that you understand the seriousness of it. And then the power of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord, you're going to do everything you can to make more disciples. Now, I want to challenge you to get bold. Pray for at least one person. If you can, pray for three people that you know right now who are not disciples of Jesus as far as you can tell. Pray that they will be saved. Now pray for the conversation that you're going to have with them this week. Now pray about who it is you're going to ask to hold you accountable to have those conversations with those lost people that you know. Pray that they will love you enough to hold you accountable to share the hope that you have. Father God, you've called us to be a disciple-making church. You've called us to be people who know, love, and obey Jesus. Jesus, you said to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To teach them to obey everything you've commanded to remember that you're with us always to the very end of the age. Make us faithful, Lord. Make us faithful to obey you in this because we love you and because the world needs it so desperately. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen.